0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. This is a serious one. This is a tough one too, because we in this province have the Youthful Offenders Act, the Young Offenders Act that protects young people. There's all kinds of theories or explanations for why we have such a thing, but you can assume, you can expect, you can understand that you know kids will sometimes do stupid things. Kids will sometimes do things that a mature adult would not do because a mature adult is more capable of thinking through consequences and results and things like that. And so we don't apply the same force of the law to someone whose capacity for rational thinking and reasoning is not quite there. However, in the last little while, here in Hamilton, we had a stabbing of a student near Salt Fleet High School. We had this horrendous situation yesterday with a 15-year-old driver apparently running over or hitting a 15-year-old student who died. Can't have a license at 15 that I know of. Uh, Toronto, we had this case with this horrendous case where these eight girls who were 13 to 16, swarmed and stabbed to death a homeless man. Uh, What are the criteria, or at least when should we begin, when should the law charge kids as adults. Let me bring in Jeff Manish, and he is a he is one of Hamilton's top defense lawyers, uh, deals with things like this at times. Uh, Jeff joins us now. Jeff, how are you tonight? Oh, good, Scott. How about you? I'm good. I really appreciate you taking some time because this is, to me, this is one of the toughest things. And I know some people would say, well, charge them all as adults. And, and I don't, I'm not going there. I think this is one of the toughest things in our system, And it's because I think that there are some things, some crimes, some actions, that to me it's impossible not to know that it's wrong. And that to me makes it very difficult at times to say, well, they should then remain as a young offender as opposed to being charged as an adult. From your perspective, is there any time when they should be charged, when a young offender should be charged as an adult?
1: Well, realize what we're dealing with here. They're charged under the Youth Criminal Justice Act. So it's not really the phrase isn't charged as an adult. They're charged under the Youth Criminal Justice Act if they're under eighteen. Right. The issue is under what circumstances can and should the Attorney General seek to have an adult sentence? Because that's really what it is. Okay. That's okay. What you're thinking about. It's not simply it's not the offense. A young person the under the Youth right. Criminal Justice Act can be found guilty of breaking that or sexual assault or whatever. The issue is sentence. So the question is, under what circumstances should the attorney general apply to have the the youth sentenced as an adult?
0: Do you believe there are – do you believe uh, as a rule that there are circumstances where that should happen?
1: Well, I think the way that I phrase it is sure there certainly are, but I'm going to go back for a moment and and modify what you've spoken about because you said the issue of appreciating whether it is or isn't a right or a wrong thing to do, that's not really the test. I'll uh, okay. give you what the test is in terms of an adult sentence. So uh, what do I believe? Well, the criminal code and the youth criminal, justice, sorry, youth criminal Justice Act provides for circumstances under which somebody could be dealt with as an adult. Works for me. The question is, where does the judge make that decision? There are a couple of features, and it simply says this, and it's this is one of those you don't believe I always like to try and offer some education on it. A youth, uh, justice court shall order that an adult sentence be imposed if it, is sat- if it is satisfied, so the burdens on the prosecution that the presumption of diminished moral blameworthiness or culpability of the young person is rebutted, and a youth sentence wouldn't be of sufficient length to hold the young person accountable for his or her offending behavior. So they're looking at the moral culpability of the young person. So what, that, what does that mean? Tra- tr- translate that, Jeff. The harm caused by the individual and the normative conduct of his character, the normative character, the normative character of his conduct.
0: Translate the
1: moral culpability. What does that mean? That they know it's wrong? That's a great question, Scott. Moral culpability isn't simply applicable for any young person. It's it's there on all aspects for adults as well in sentencing. I think the way that I'd phrase it is how wrong is the conduct? So you can have conduct that might occur that might be inadvertent but still criminal. You might have conduct that's deliberate. Conduct that might have occurred on a single occasion. Conduct that's occurred on a number of occasions. Conduct that mm-hmm. might be impulsive and bad. Conduct that might be extreme and protracted. How okay. bad is the behavior from a moral standpoint? And does part of that... Sound consist sentence, of, I make submissions you know, regarding moral culpability regularly for adults as well as young people.
0: Does part of that come down to does the person or should the person realistically have known what they were doing was horrendous?
1: I think that, I don't know that they'd quite evaluate it that way. Okay, they allow for a diminished level of moral blameworthiness for a young person, and that builds in what you mentioned earlier, Scott. Young people's brains have not really matured and developed their ability to be able to make evaluations and judgments aren't nearly the same as adult. So we might say, yeah, they know it's bad, but the issue of the evaluation and decision-making is not the same as adult. So we have to recognize that. That's a critical component of dealing with young people. Other factors that I mentioned for you, okay, the consequential harm caused by the individual. So that's how what, what happened. How bad was the harm? And a third one, the normative character of the conduct, in other words, how far it is or isn't in part related to uh, what society's norms might say as well as the young person. Okay, and then remember too, the the other part of it, in terms of the sentence, it's considered to, it has to be long enough to reflect the seriousness of the offense and the young person's role in it, and to provide, this is important, a reasonable assurance of the young person's rehabilitation To the point where the young person can be safely reintegrated into society. Okay. It's a balancing exercise for a judge. It's been interpreted by the courts. Accountable. What's uh, What has to happen? Moral culpability and intentional risk-taking, harm caused, and the character of the conduct.
0: And that, that, the one of those parts is where I always struggle with this because, uh, you know, I was saying uh, a few moments ago that if, if a kid breaks into a store and does something stupid, um, you know, heaven knows we, we haven't all broken into a store, but we've all done something stupid in our life because we haven't thought it through. But taking this one in Toronto of these eight girls, we don't know all the details yet, but you can't, you'll never convince me that not one of those girls knew that what was going on was not just bad, but that was going to lead to a very bad outcome. This was not stealing a chocolate bar. This was extraordinarily serious. And and I just, I find it impossible to believe that they could not have, some of them could not have understand what was happening. That me, to me is very different from some of these other things that you might be facing.
1: Let me suggest to you, Scott, that what you're doing is mixing some metaphors to find somebody not criminally responsible by reason of mental disorder, a court has to be satisfied the person didn't wasn't capable of appreciating because of a disease of the mind, the nature and quality of the act are capable of knowing it was wrong. So the knowing it was wrong phrase comes in for a defense of not criminally responsible. The knowing it was wrong is not a component of the Youth Criminal Justice Act. So so we have to segregate that part out. The issue of wrongful conduct is certainly identifiable. But the question then becomes, do you have to deal with the individual as an adult? And by the way, it can only happen for somebody 14 and up. Okay, you have to determine whether or not the potential sanctions that are available in the Youth Criminal Justice Act really aren't enough. It's more serious than that. And we know of cases of 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds, or what they do is sufficiently bad that, yeah, they've got to be dealt with as adults. If I'm not mistaken, that young guy in in Alberta, if I'm not mistaken, killed a number of his classmates, dealt with as an adult. Many years ago, I was involved in the trial in Hamilton. I represented the third person, but of the other two that were charged, one of the two was 17 at the time. There was an application to have him transferred to adult court on a horrific first-degree murder, and he was transferred to adult court and sentenced, dealt with, essentially dealt with as an adult. So it can happen. It's just not automatically, really bad crime equals automatically adult sentence. It doesn't work that simply, Scott.
0: Yeah and and part of the other trick about this um, is that there are some 18 year olds who would naturally by definition be charged as an adult and sentenced as an adult because they've reached that threshold that probably are way less mature than some 16 year olds like the the number I get that we have to have a a a, a solid number something to work with you have to you, you can't just sort of have this wishy-washy well we'll send them to a psychiatrist and see how they do you have to have a number but boy, it seems rather arbitrary at times because there are, as I say, there are some people who are younger but way more mature than older people who
1: are way less mature. Sure, although maturity isn't simply the answer. I can tell you, I've represented some people, Scott, where they might be not long after the 18th birthday. And I say to a judge, you know, but for a matter of a number of months, this individual will be treated under the criminal justice. Exactly, it exactly. Happens. You know, but that, you're going to draw a line somewhere. I, w- I w- was around at a time where we had the uh, Juvenile Delinquents Act. I'm that old. And the maximum mm-hmm. penalty for the Judo Delinquents Act, you know what it was, Scott? Training, no idea. training school. That's what it said. It was training school. And you had young people who could be transferred to out of court then. And, and so ultimately, over time, we got into the Young Offenders Act with amendments, Youth Criminal Justice Act. There have been some, ra- some increases in terms of the range of sentences. Maximum sentences can be po- uh, imposed for young people. Remember, you can have a custodial term for a young person, too. So yeah, it, no, it's, it's not a matter of they all get probation. No bad enough offense for a young person dealt with us under youth. Colonel just that can still get custody. It's uh
0: it's, it's one that is uh, very in the fore on the front burner right now because of all the things that are going on, whether by coincidence or something else, it certainly has been a lot of stuff happening in the last few weeks that, uh, that have raised questions about this. Uh, Jeff Manishin, we always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today.
1: Certainly Scott. Always a pleasure chatting. Bye.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: In the last few days,
0: there's been some new, well, it's, it's, uh, some revived questions, some magnifying glass looking at some spending in Ottawa, specifically at one con- company that does contracting, consulting work, pardon me. Um, because in Ottawa, in the last number of years, uh, the government has gone from spending billion a year on outside consultants to $17.7 billion a year on outside consultants. Aaron Hamilton, it was just a few years ago, four or five years ago, that there was an auditor's report that kind of shredded the city in some ways. For hiring consultants, outside consultants, for work that didn't need to be done or that wasn't really specific or whatever else, Um, consultants are seemingly a way of life for governments of all stripe, of all party, of all levels. But when you consider how many people work for the government at all different levels—city, province, federally. Do we need this many? There are over 350,000 federal employees in this country. Surely some of this work can be done by them. Or surely we can find consultants that don't cost as much money as so many seem to do. I'm uh, being a cynic here, suggesting maybe it's because they know it's the government as opposed to someone else, and so they can charge more. Larry DeAnne is a former mayor of the city. Of course, he's a political commentator. He joins us now. Larry, thanks for doing this today. Hey, good evening, uh, Scott. It, it, it always strikes me as one of the things that you know, if you were to go through a, a government l- accounting, in one of the line items that's going to be big, always is going to be consulting fees. Why is this?
2: <laughs> yes and it's it's the bane of um of uh, every politician uh at every level for sure. Uh and um the city of Hamilton I mean I've I've lost track of uh, specific numbers in the budgets now but uh if you were to add up the cumulative uh, uh amount of money for consultants at every level whether it be in public works or planning or uh legal uh, you'd come up with a pretty penny, for sure. And here's the issue, and we, we try to deal with it, and we try to whittle it away when, when I was involved, but here's the issue, and here's what staff will tell you, that in spite of the fact that Hamilton has many, many employees, um, they don't have expertise in every single area. And so sometimes, many times, I would say, Um, In order to get a piece of work done that requires a specific expertise, whether it's in legal or planning or public works, you need to either hire somebody on your staff to get that expertise or farm it out to a consulting company if it's work that you only need periodically. So for example, If you want um, some specific work, um, say, around – let me use a a specific example – around, uh, you know, the repaving of of the Red Hill Expressway, which which is a controversial subject, right? Uh Uh-huh. There were a number of consultants that were hired to give the city advice on that. Now, as it turns out, the advice and we are about to find out may or may not have been sound, but you either have to hire that person and then keep them on the payroll forever or use them on a one time basis for work that's done every 10 years. And so it's cheaper in the long run not to bring somebody on staff when you need that expertise only for a limited period of time, but rather to pay a one time fee in consulting and um, and be done with it. Um, But isn't it possible though, Larry, isn't it possible Mm
0: -hmm. to have generalists? Because I, I, you know, most people, most companies will have people who are generalists who can speak to certain things that, you know, they may not be absolutely precisely dealing with that one specific issue, but they're they're capable of speaking to broad issues. It, it, it seems like, well, maybe we do do that, but it's, or maybe we just have so many specific issues. I don't know. But it seems like in the private sector, you wouldn't do this nearly as much as we seem to in the public sector.
2: Well, in fact, uh, the private sector uses consulting uh, uh, engineering firms or at least consulting firms as much as the uh, government. Maybe it hasn't cost as much because, uh, and again, this is the bone of contention whenever government gets involved because of its very circuitous um, uh, purchasing pro- programs and processes, um, it, they, the, the dollar amounts seem to, to go sky high. Uh-huh. Yes. And uh, and that's that's a whole other issue. But but that has to do with, with purchasing policies. You know, in the private sector, <clears throat> if you wanted a job done and you were quoted a certain price and the guy across the street who does the, uh, the same work quoted you um uh, a slightly higher price you but you like that person you might go to him and say hey buddy look this guy is going to do this job for this amount can you uh, sharpen your pencil and you do that but in in government you cannot because that that uh, even though it makes sense but but that opens the door to potential abuses and so you've got all of these purchasing policies that simply have you know to dot every i cross every t And the amount that is charged for jobs goes sky high. But in terms of consulting work, though, uh, I would say the private sector also uses consultants. It's just that it seems that the public sector, uh, it becomes more of a flashpoint, especially when it goes through the political mill. Like, for example, this issue you're talking about uh, that's happening right now in the federal government. And I don't have any specific details, of course, but the same firm. That's been hired by this government was hired by the previous governments as well. The only difference is that this government is paying more money. Now, why is that? Are they doing more work? Uh, costs have gone up, um, or is it that uh, is it that there's some hanky panky going on? I bet you dollars to donuts. When we get to the bottom of it, uh, you'll find out that it uh, there's uh, there are explanations. Uh, to, to why the cost is there. Uh, and they may or may not have anything to do with malfeasance. We hope it, it won't. But but the issue is that every single government that comes along hires consultants, and that's just a way of life. You mentioned the one in Ottawa,
0: and this is the flashpoint one that has got this talking again. So under the previous government, under the Harper government, it was paid $2.2 million. Uh, under the Trudeau government, it's been paid 66 million. So it's it's like it's not gone up by a little bit. It's it's grown exponentially. And and again, uh, Larry, I just I, I find it very hard. I've I've not worked in public sector, so you know I I acknowledge that coming in, but I find it really hard to imagine what work anybody could possibly do. Over a few years, that would be worth 66, unless you're, unless there's, you know, building a plane or something where there's product involved in it, where there's things you have to buy. I I find it hard to believe what possible advice you could give me that would be worth $66 million. It goes to your point. It seems as though we spend a lot of money when it's in the public sector that probably would be whittled down if it was private sector.
2: Yeah, no, I, and, and I agree with you. And obviously, those numbers are staggering. And that's why I think the government has issued a, uh, um, a or has asked for uh, an audit uh, to come to uh, to some answers as to why things have gone up that drastically uh, over just a, a, a few uh, number of years. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's frustrating, I know. Uh, but, but the general answer to the question is that, uh, government doesn't have expertise uh, in every area. And rather than hiring somebody and putting them on the payroll forever, they simply pay a one-time fee for, in consulting. But those numbers add up um, as you go across the board and start adding consulting numbers or at least consulting dollars uh, every time uh, uh, government does uh, does a job. Um, and And I think the right questions are being asked. But also, let me be a little bit cynical about the political lens, too, um, that um, opposition parties always want to make the government look bad. 100%. And even though though uh, there may be a a reasonable explanation, uh, their spin is always uh, going to be pejorative.
0: A hundred percent. And and I, Larry, we got to run, but I would say guaranteed 100%, 1000%. I don't care who was in office. If any government was paying $66 million to someone, I think the questions would be asked because especially if it's gone up from 2.2, oh, we got to run as I say, but uh, right. just for the record. If anybody wants to hire me as a consultant for $66 million, I am available. Uh, You you can reach me through my email here. I will happily work for you for $66 million. I'm sure Larry will as well. Um, Partners. Thanks very much. Have a great night, Larry. Thank you. Uh, You too. The Scott Radley Show.
2: Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 (laughs) on 900
0: CHML.